0: So, Newcastle destroyed Tottenham 6-1, leaving Spurs no choice but to say arrivederci to Christian Stellini, while Eddie Howe's men look like they're right at home in the top four. In the bottom three, however, Leicester grabbed a crucial win over Wolves as the Dean Smith fight back begins in earnest. Now, we've said that about a few teams already, haven't we, at the bottom? And this relegation race couldn't be any less predictable, really. Unlike another routine Manchester City win, they're through to the FA Cup final where they face Neighbours United for one of three potential historic pieces of silverware. Wrexham, meanwhile, will settle for the one trophy, the big one. They've been promoted from the National League finally and as champions. Welcome to the Football Diary Podcast. Hey guys welcome to the pod this week it's Mike here with Dave as we discuss football from up and down the country this weekend actually from the Premier League to the FA Cup and the National League where there's interesting goings-on to talk about too but we're going to start at St James's Park Dave where we witnessed an absolute annihilation of Tottenham a humiliation uh, by Newcastle uh, which for Newcastle themselves was a really swashbuckling performance wasn't it and High intensity, high pressure. But for Spurs, it just shows exactly why they're swapping places with Newcastle in this top four question now. Long term, probably, it seems like. But let's just shed some light on Newcastle, first of all, Dave. 6-1. They went five nil up within the first 20 minutes. Uh, as I say, the display they put on of intensity to force Tottenham back and to you know to grab an early goal after two minutes really earmarks how different they are this season under Eddie Howe, doesn't it?
1: Oh, yeah. <sighs> It was just ridiculous, really, wasn't it? The, the start, beginning of the game. Have you ever seen the first 25 minutes of a game? A lot of people were surprised and not surprised because they know, obviously, what Newcastle are kind of, the kind of football they're capable of playing, but the, how clinical they were in taking their chances. <sighs> Coupled with how terrible Tottenham were, how much space they allowed them to have, how many touches they allowed them to take around the box... It was just a recipe for disaster for, for Tottenham, and it you know they were tr- they were deservedly punished by Newcastle. Who we've we've spoken about them, haven't we, over the season and how? If yeah. you, it began with Almiron and obviously Cameron Wilson, now Isak, who's obviously seems to be the main man in there, if, um, who's playing, you know. Brilliantly, he's definitely up there for me and probably team of the season this year. If it wasn't for so many forwards that are doing so well, obviously, so you got Holland and um and Harry Kane, obviously. But if you're going to have a front three, I think there's an argument to have him in that front three. I think he's done really well this season since he's come into the league from, from January. Um, but
0: I've, with injury as well, let's not forget, yeah, definitely.
1: And it is you know, he's pushed Callum Wilson out of the team that's no, no easy feat in mm. itself. Um, but I think it, it, the main story for me is just how everyone's contributing. You, you look at obviously Jolinton took his goals really well in this game as well. Jacob Murphy, who, yeah. you know, is, is still starting ahead of Anthony Gordon um, and really contributing himself as well. So you've got to give them so much credit. I don't think anybody really saw them being able to maintain this consistency throughout the season. Um and yeah. they
0: Well, we've said, haven't we, after the cup final where they lost to Manchester United, that the squad isn't actually that deep and, you know, there's definite kind of areas for them to strengthen if they're going to have a Champions League campaign, especially. But the players that um, he had at his disposal, Eddie Howe, from the start, he's actually coached the majority of them to be in this position. And I think fair play to him you know he's worked absolute wonders with the likes of Murphy like you say and uh, Joe Ellington was was a bit of a figure of fun for a couple of seasons wasn't he especially under Steve Bruce when he didn't quite know how he fit into the team Uh, Joe Willock as well you know the the pass he made for, for one of the goals was absolutely incredible and again under Steve Bruce seems like years ago doesn't it since they were playing under him but it wasn't it wasn't that long ago at all so that's why for me I think this Newcastle um, position that they're in where they've lost only four games in the league so far this season and they're pushing for, not just pushing for top four, but comfortably going to make it, I think, aren't they? What a turnaround and what a coaching kind of masterclass from, from Eddie Howe, really, because he's not spent a fortune yet. It's going to happen if they get Champions League football, but from a coaching point of view, it's it's something to be admired.
1: Yeah, and I think obviously this game, I think there were a lot of eyes on wondering how Newcastle were going to respond because. It's not really happened this season, where they've been really convincingly beaten, obviously against Villa. And all of a sudden, we thought, "Yeah, hang on a minute, is this kind of the downturn in in form, and this is where they drop off?" But you know, full credit to them, they they responded resoundingly, really, and how convincingly they put Tottenham to the sword, and you know, that's that will definitely help the goal difference as well coming into the end of the season. Um, there's still some tricky tricky games to yeah. sort of. Um, navigate their way through, but they you would have to say they're very much like bang on, really, for top four. You'd think. I think. I think I saw there was some um, percentage chances. I think it was on Sky Sports of where they thought basically the the chances of them getting to the top four. I think Newcastle was like eighty-eight percent. United yeah. were like ninety-three percent. So I mean you can't yeah, it get feels like you it. Can't, after a you can't get much more certain. Obviously with so few games left now, and it sounds um crazy saying that because it's still was it six games left? Is it? Six or seven games for something. Yeah, game? six
0: games. Yeah. Um it
1: sounds like a lot in a way, but also it's not too many. I think that um United and Newcastle have got about six points in hand, um, over those below, and I think even a game in hand on some of the teams. I think Brighton probably look the most likely to to make a surge or Liverpool rather than Tottenham at the minute.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think well with the performance like that from Tottenham and obviously the news that uh, Stellini has been sacked as interim manager, then uh, they're they're only going to get lower aren't they as a, as a team they're only going to sink further, but we'll talk about them in a moment. But Newcastle, I feel like a need, we need to give them the the kind of time and credit they deserve after not just a performance like that one, but just the sustained consistency all season and Tactically, I think there's a definite settled system now for Newcastle. He's got kind of this 4-3-3, hasn't he, where the back four picks itself. Um, obviously, he's got um, a great goalkeeper in Nick Pope. There's a spine of a team there that's forming. And at the centre of that is Bruno Guimaraes as well, who you can see staying there for the long term if they can hold on to him. Who else in that starting eleven do you think will be a fixture for the next season or two while they kind of establish themselves as, as a top four team?
1: I mean, it's still really difficult to say. Obviously, with FFPs in place as well, I think it's kind of unclear as to how much they will have to spend because they've not been reckless in their spending so far. Um, if you look at the players they brought in, they've you know they've got players like Sean Longstaff who's playing out of his skin in midfield, and there are a lot of you know a lot of doubters. I think of him. Um, they were obviously United were linked with buying him for forty million, forty fifty million, and. A lot of people were laughing and joking about that, but he's actually looking like a 40 50 million pound player at the minute, he's playing that well. Um, so there's a lot of ifs, buts, and maybes. Um, I think potentially they could probably look at bringing in another attacker. I think if they get a couple of key injuries to likes of Isak. As good as yeah. Callum Wilson has been, he's got his injury problems as well. So, I think they probably need another striker um, and potentially another addition on the wings. Um, as well as Jacob Murphy's done, I think to, to take that next step, they do need to add a little bit in, in strength in numbers as well. Um, because, obviously, the, uh, the Champions League is a different kettle of fish. So. Um, It'll be interesting to see what they do in the summer. Uh, I've not actually seen too many links so far. Um, But again, it's, you know, the transfer window is still a little bit of a way off yet. But it'll be fascinating to see what they do.
0: Let's have this Tottenham autopsy then, shall we, Dave? Uh, Losing 6 1 to anyone is humiliating. But for the team that's trying to dislodge you from that sort of top tier of English football is an absolute humiliation, isn't it? And the news, obviously, that's just broken about Christian Stellini losing his job. Sacking an interim manager, that's, that's rare as well. You know things are going bad when, when that happens. But the statement from Daniel Levy said that um, the, the action had to be taken because it was an unacceptable result. Why you stuck with Stellini in the first place is beyond me because if, he's just basically, you know, he's Conte's man, isn't he? You usually take the backroom staff with you. But I'm guessing it was money, like it had to pay him off now. Ryan Macy's at a the helm. They're just trying to limp over the line, aren't they, really, until the summer?
1: I'm just bored of talking about Tottenham, just um, how many stupid decisions they make like over and over. And it actually made me laugh a little bit, the statement that they, that they kind of released, because it was almost as though he was a permanent manager, almost like a permanent coach, which we know wasn't the case. Yeah. So I don't really know why you need to explain yourself in your decision. The fans already know it was a bad decision to keep him on anyway. All, everyone's wondering why he's still in that job. So, mm-hmm. for him to release that statement, I thought was a bit of a joke in itself, and a little bit of a. I just think Tottenham fans have been taken for mugs by Daniel Levy, and have been for yeah, a um, have been for a considerable time. Um, the way they've been handled as a club has been a disaster for a, a good a good amount of time, and. I just don't know where they're going to go next. It's going to be interesting. They de- yeah. They need to look obviously for who they're going to get in place in in terms of manager for next season. But they don't need to make any rash decisions, um, like well, they have done um, in the past. And they need to. Obviously, they've got Ryan Mason in, who was already on the coaching. who was already on the coaching staff, wasn't he? But then, is there co- any yeah. is there any coaching staff beyond that? I don't really know. So. I don't,
0: well, there's there's gonna be yeah, but everything will be set in place yeah. just to get them over the line. That's what I mean. It looks so temporary, as if it wasn't enough temporary enough with Stellini in charge. So they've written off the season, haven't they? They they're going to slide out of any European places now, and there's no surprise because form wise, there's numerous teams around them that could overtake them now. So it's a case of how low could Spurs go? But where's the ambition to fight for that? You know, I, I would have thought that they would have taken the decision decision to first of all axe Conte with somebody in line, you know, ready to go. And we know Nagelsmann wasn't ready to go back into football just yet. And then the Stellini decision as well makes me think maybe they've got somebody in line. Maybe Nagelsmann's had a a change of heart and said he's ready to step in. I doubt that's the case though now. So it's literally just he's pulling the trigger because he's seen something that's humiliated the club and is washing his hands of responsibility and placing it on Stellini. I think that's really unfair on him, to be fair. I think he deserved better treatment than that. And I don't know what outcome any Tottenham fan would have expected with that decision to, to kind of axe Conte and put Stellini in charge. It was always headed for disaster, wasn't it?
1: There's zero chance um, Nagelsmann's going to check to, to Tottenham.
0: And do you know what's quite the funny? No.
1: The funny thing is he's got the the opportunity to go to either Tottenham or Chelsea, and they're both a complete joke at the minute. But you. Who's worse out what of the was?
0: two though? Who who would you what who would
1: you go to? <laughs> you you'd say Chelsea, wouldn't you? Just because they're being backed. The investment's there. they have you know, they've got a, a, yeah. a more talented group of players than Tottenham have. But then the instability of that club is ridiculous as well. So I mean it's it's not a great choice, what, is it? What's
0: behind it though? What would you say is behind the chaos that's going on at Spurs at the moment? Not just at the moment, but it's been a few seasons in the making, hasn't it? They've had um, several managers that have been quite high profile. And Miles has said on this podcast that maybe it's because it's been too much about the managers and not about the team. But I think Spurs lost their direction when they sacked Pochettino, really, didn't they? They were onto something, didn't invest while they were at their peak. And this decline's been coming for a few years now, but I think anyway.
1: Yeah, it's the recruitment from top to bottom, not let alone you know the chairman who. I just think he needs to. The time is to leave Spurs now. I think he's ran his course. Yeah, someone else needs to come in and with a with a true direction, a true sort of path at which they want to take the club forward, and. I. I, I actually kind of sympathise a little bit for Spurs fans because it feels a little bit like what United fans have gone through in the past the amount of managers we've been through, the amount of players, bad players, bad choices that the club have made in bringing certain players in, wasting money it is, it does feel quite similar in that respect Um, even though obviously the the amount of resources that the two clubs have is quite a stark contrast but Yeah, there's so much there that needs resolving that you just don't know where to start. I don't even know where to begin with it, to be honest. Um, It doesn't look like...
0: Well, imagine how Harry Kane's feeling then. Well, he's... What's his decision now? Well, I mean, you can't stay at Spurs after the season they've had, surely. He's he's getting to an age now where he needs to move to, to win something. And at Spurs, he's probably given them a chance to try and turn it around season after season. It's definitely not coming in the next five years, is it? So... He's got the thing control. is, whoever...
1: I, I just... I can't even sympathise for Harry Kane, and
0: do you know why?
1: Whoever had whoever his agent was when he signed that six-year contract, if he's still his agent now, oh, I'll be
0: amazed because <laughs> he should be gone. It's his brother, Dave. I think it's his brother. <laughs> Seriously.
1: But honestly, Mental. with, the, with the, the history of obviously... Spurs and obviously the lack of success they've had over the years what would actually possess you to sign a six year deal and knowing the way of and the, the demeanour the, and the temperament of Daniel Levy you really think he's going to let you go that easily it's never going to happen
0: Well if Levy had bite, bit the bullet and just let Kane go is, at a time when they'd have got maximum money for him they could have done something with that but then I don't think i trust Spurs to spend that kind of money wisely The either. thing is the
1: cl- clubs aren't daft now they're not They're not reckless. Yeah. You've got the likes of obviously United, um, Bayern Munich being linked with Harry Kane. Um you know, there's a lot coming out from Tottenham, it sounds like leaks from you know, potential sources saying that they want hundred plus million. They're not gonna get that. You know, he's in the last year of his contract. And there are other players out there, there are other forwards out there, they're younger, they're younger talented players out there as well. You know, the likes of Ossiman um, uh, Hoyland obviously from uh, Atalanta, who's been linked as well. That there, there are there are other options, certainly, and I just can't see anybody coming in and offering 100 million. I'd say 70 million is a fair no. price at at max.
0: That's generous for the time left on his contract and his age. I think, and he needs to go. I just think they shouldn't drag their heels about a deal for him. I think he deserves. Some kind of recognition of what he's done for that club and how long he's been there. And I think letting him go for a fair price would be the right thing to do. But this is Danny Rose. Well, do you see what
1: Danny Rose was saying after the game?
0: Yeah. Quite damning, Rick. Yeah, sad, really. Really damning,
1: isn't
0: it? It's a, it's a mess at Spurs, isn't it? But um, where they'll finish and how low they'll go, I have no idea because there's so many teams behind them that are in much better form. Um, so you can see them sinking as low as Chelsea, can't you? Um, which is a sad way to end a season that promised so much at the start. But at the bottom of the table, Dave, let's look at the relegation picture quickly. And we've we've zoomed in on a few teams that are fighting that relegation fight this season, haven't we, on the podcast? It feels like we're a bit of a poison chalice now. Every time we mention them, they seem to kind of have a downturn in form. But I think that's more to do with just how unpredictable the relegation race is this season. Leeds have started struggling. We've mentioned Bournemouth last week. They lost 4-0 to West Ham. We question whether West Ham could turn it around and they've suddenly strung together like, I think, one defeat in five or something like that to climb the table. All these teams seem to be pulling it out of the bag, whereas other teams have lost momentum. It's crazy, isn't it? But Leicester City are the latest team to kind of put a win on the board. Dean Smith's first home game went there for Leicester and they needed it, didn't they? Blimey, they beat relegation rivals Wolves 2-1 at the King Power Stadium. And it looked more like... The Leicester that we know, didn't it? Really? It looked a bit more like their old selves. Do you think they'll be okay?
1: It's still up in the air, isn't it? There's you know, they've been so inconsistent this season, Leicester. That...
0: You don't chance it now, you don't commit no. to an answer for that, because we've well, we, been we saying just can't get it. We've been right. saying all
1: season, haven't we, though, that we think Leicester will be okay. We think they've got the talent in the squad. Yeah. But they've taken they've they've taken so long to get this win that you just thought it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and you just thought, mm-hmm. Maybe this is it, like that's it, they've accepted defeat. Um don't get me wrong, it wasn't it wasn't the best performance. Wolves still had a couple of opportunities, still had quite a few shots. Um and that's where Leicester really struggled. They're not struggled to to create chances this season. They've created a lot of opportunities and maybe not been as clinical as they have been um in the past. But it's just being able to stop the shots on goal. Um, and, you know, luckily, obviously, the, they made a couple of changes. We were mentioning, weren't we, they, how obviously Siungu has been brought back in. Uh, they made a couple of changes in this game. They went to a back four instead of a back yeah. five against Man City um, when they could arguably got something from that game. Um, and, um, yeah, it's obviously it's, it's early days. Um, I think the thing that Dean that Dean Smith is trying to do is... is He's made a couple of changes, actually, a few changes in, in this game. From the last one, I think he's still kind of experimenting a little bit while trying to find stability. Um, obviously, there's not a lot of time to delve yeah. into things too much. He's got you know, very limited time to really kind of put a few um, results together and just pull them out of this... this um, real mess that they're in. It's set, they're still in 17th place. They're by no means out of the woods. Um, the next game, they're obviously nice. against Leeds. That is a huge game for both teams.
0: Massive. Yeah. I think with Dean Smith coming in, it's probably a fresh pair of eyes and a fresh voice with a squad that was probably beginning to doubt Brendan Rogers because nothing seemed to change under him, did it? So yeah, he's brought um, Soyuncu back into the team who looks like he's Agreed to go to Atletico, didn't he? Like you say, and uh, that's a shame because he's such a promising player. He's only twenty six as well. Losing some big names um, over the next twelve months is going to really damage Leicester. And I think he's probably said, Dean Smith, look, it's a chance for you to keep your reputations high, where whatever you're doing, come the end of the season. But you can't finish I with think- the relegation because it's such a negative way to end your time with Leicester, isn't it? Especially with the likes of Madison potentially leaving. Um, we've already said Tielemans is, is def- probably going to go on his way as well. So they need to finish this season strongly. Uh, relegation for some of those players would be a disaster. I think I the think.
1: main thing with Leicester is since Zafana's gone, and even before he left, there were, he did get a lot of in- injuries for Leicester. But yeah, they don't seem to have nailed down that perfect partnership, that perfect centre-back partnership that they know they can rely on. They know they're not going to obviously can see chances and uh, ship goals out. That's been the main issue, I think, um, for Leicester. Not just at centre-back, across the whole back line. Castagna's had his injuries. Yeah, um, Justin has um, been injured as well. So, yeah, it's been a massive problem for them and whether they can resolve that this summer, if they stay up, they really do need to because they can't keep going on like this. Their, their yeah. defence for the last two or three years is just not being good enough, and they've, they thankfully their their attacks got them kind of out of trouble. Um, yeah, but I think they so. can't keep going games. having to score more goals and what? What obviously, um, yeah. score three or four goals every game because they're conceding two goals here and there. So yeah. it's just, yeah, it's it's one that they're going to have to sort out.
0: I think Dean Smith made the right calls though in terms of bringing Soyauntry back. Because uh, Amati just wasn't good enough for centre back, was he? But also, um, the goalkeeping dilemma as well. Since Casper Schmeichel left, they've struggled really mm. to have any kind of authority at the back. But they've got Daniel Everson in for the last couple of games, and he's actually done okay. Because mm. um, Danny Ward has, has had a few mistakes, hasn't he, in him, and that needed rectifying too. So he's not been afraid, Dean Smith, to make some big calls. Um, Ian Acho's not played that much either under Brendan Rodgers. vardy has been quite back central. In, hasn't he? Vardy's back in, yeah. So he's, he's putting his trust in some players that um, that Brendan Rodgers perhaps didn't trust quite as much for whatever reason. I think big characters. Though, I think like, that changes. I think they
1: need big characters and yeah, it, big it temperaments. Is. Do you know what I mean? These are experienced players who've who've been there. I think Jamie Vardy. Let's be honest, he's not the the same player that he was two or three years ago. Yeah. He's certainly coming to an end. It feels like. Um, but he's got valuable experience and the know-how in in particular moments. Let's not forget he was you know part of the that set up when they nearly got relegated and then went on to win this, the the title the the year after. So um, it, yeah, it's valuable kind of experience like that that is going to help them and hopefully keep them up.
0: and the bottom of the table though, it's such a strange. Race, if you can call it that, to escape relegation because the teams just keep taking points off each other and and surprising (laughs) us at every turn, don't they? And we mentioned West Ham beat Bournemouth 4-0, which, you know, I I didn't Mm -hmm. see that coming at all because Bournemouth have been playing much better. Um, Leeds lost again to Fulham, which... (sighs) Leeds, I don't know what's happening to them. They look really poor, don't they? Obviously, Wolves losing to Leicester, another big relegation dogfight, taking points off each other. (laughs) I know we've asked this question a few times, Dave, and I know it's a really hard one to answer. But who are you looking at now as doomed? Because we said Leicester were. Their form has turned slightly with this win. Southampton looked pretty rooted to the bottom. But who are you saying is in danger the most at the minute? I think Leeds. Just defensively,
1: they're so open and so easy to create against. And not the best going forward at the minute. So Fair that enough. combination just spells relegation for me. Um.
0: I worry about Nottingham Forest if I'm yeah, honest, though.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I agree.
0: They've been horrendous, haven't they? And again, we did a pod on Forest as well, saying how much they've improved this season and how being in the Premier League with so many changes and you know Steve Cooper's adapted to that. And, and at the time, they were about 13th, but now look is at it, them; their fault has been horrendous. I, I, I do worry about is them. Like
1: one win in nine or something like that.
0: Yeah, it's awful. I mean, it was it was their away form, wasn't it? That was was bad initially, but I think. Generally, now they've just not been playing very well.
1: Yeah, and it, it felt like they would be nowhere near it ten games ago. We obviously spoke them about them in yeah. depth, didn't we? At a Point where we were saying that they've done so well to be in the position they were. They were near hovering around sort of mid-table area, and you thought they'll yeah. be nowhere near amongst it. And yeah, I mean, you look at them over the weekend and the goals that they conceded against Liverpool. Every single goal was a set piece. Um, I'm pretty sure they're amongst um, the teams at the top to have conceded most set pieces in the league, which is a yeah. damning stat in itself. Um,
0: it's basics, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it, it was, it was, you could see how um, disappointed and sort of frustrated that Cooper was after the game as well, in that he knew that those goals were just schoolboy errors. Like they were just easily avoidable. It was just positional. Um, corrections and where defenders were on set pieces that could have easily avoided those goals and that's the fine margins that you face in especially in the Premier League let alone you know some of the teams that play this free-flowing football it was just set pieces that kind of put the nail in the coffin for him in this game and like you say I I, yeah yeah, they've been pulled back into it and it's just so unpredictable at the bottom there at the minute I actually think Leicester will be safe I think Leicester will sail I think (laughs) this'll be a key game against Leeds. And obviously it's a away at Ellen yeah. Road, but I think I just think Leicester are a better team than Leeds. Um both not brilliant defensively, so it could make for an absolutely brilliant game. Um but I just feel as though uh, Leeds at the minute don't fill me with confidence going into every game. They've they just look like losing every single game at the minute the way they're playing.
0: We're not mentioned Everton either really, have we? And I think they're not been amazing either but i think they might escape relegation just by the fact that they'd be slightly better than leeds and um who else would be saying nottingham the forest thing, probably aren't they? The, they're they probably the two favorites to join the time. thing is
1: with everton is they've they've ground out results even obviously at the weekend um yeah. you know mason holgate got sent off in the 80th minute and you thought oh hang on you know the way palace are playing at the minute you fancied them to go on and win but fair play to everton you know they they were resilient and kind of held their shape and were able to, to get a point. And that could be a valuable point at mm. the end of the season. It's not all about, especially when you're at the bottom, it's not just getting three points every time. It's The odd point here and there is going to be valuable. Um, and mm. I do think that Sean Darch will turn out to be a shrewd appointment. I think he'll keep them up. And that's the main thing at the minute.
0: Anyway, let's talk about the FA Cup, Dave, moving away from the Premier League. So Manchester United through to the final, they joined Manchester City in um, an all Manchester Cup final, which is uh, is it the first time that's happened as well, yeah. which is, you know, un- unbelievable, really. But, wow, United made hard work of beating Brighton on penalties, didn't they? I, I hate penalties. Um, I hate the fact that David De Gea is not very good at saving them at all. He gets nowhere mm-hmm. near mm-hmm. them. Um, and it was always going to take a missed penalty, really, to separate the sides. And it was Solly Marsh, unfortunately, who who had the misfortune of missing his penalty. And he's had a good season. So it's never nice to see a game finished that way. But United versus Brighton, first of all, Dave, it was a tense, cagey affair where the, the teams kind of tactically cancelled each other out, didn't they? They both set up pretty well to nullify each other, especially Man United's defence, uh, which was a bit patchwork, really. Um, coming up against uh, an attack that has been pretty formidable, especially Matoma. He was contained quite quite nicely by um, Aaron wan wasn't he? Um, and I think nil-nil after the, the 120 minutes was probably a fair reflection, wasn't it?
1: Ironically, the two best players on the pitch, in my opinion, were two defenders. And that said, that told the story of the game. Um, Aaron wan and Victor Lindelof, I thought they were absolutely superb. V- Lind- Lindelof, since yeah. coming in the last couple of games, has been United's best player. Um and I think it reflected the game kind of perfectly, really. In that, I just felt as though the attacking players on both teams didn't turn up. Uh, Matoma didn't have his best game. You look off Marcus Rashford looked completely off it. Um, Anthony looked yeah. like United's more likely player, but I just felt like decision making in the final third on both teams, hot um, on behalf of both teams. I, I feel as though it just wasn't. Quite right. I felt like it could have been a much, much better game if players had just made the right decision in those key moments. Um, Brighton obviously had the better chances, especially in the first half. Um, De Gea obviously made a couple of really good saves. Um, But um, United made some changes in the second half that did sort of change the flow of the game. They brought Fred on into midfield, took obviously Ericsson off. Um, yeah, and it seemed to just give them a little bit more energy. Um, they brought Weghorst on, obviously took Martial off, and that it did actually. They started to win the ball higher up the pitch, um, and they did create a couple of half opportunities. It was just the decision making in the final third that really did let United down in, in sort of like the end period of that of the game. But it was it was a story of um, for both teams, to be honest, that. They just didn't yeah. quite click in the key moments. Um, obviously, Brighton were missing Evan Ferguson as well, who's obviously a, a big miss for them. And you wonder if they'd have had him in the team, if whether that would have made a big difference. It just felt as though it so. just felt as though the game was missing um, some like key personnel who you really want to see in this game, Lissandro Martinez, who's obviously been a, a massive miss these last couple of games for United. Um, but you've got to give Brighton a lot of credit. I think what they did do in this game, they dominated the ball, they, they dominated possession for the most part um, and just the way they play for their football is just so easy on the eye, isn't it? Um, yeah,
0: I think I think both teams will look back at this FA Cup run and, and be sort of fairly pleased with how it's panned out for both of them. United getting to another final is is massive progress, mm. especially after the horrendous result in Europe as well in the week. You know, there's a lot of questions asked about the mentality of some of these players. And I think it's made us as United fans kind of look at some of these fringe players that are actually playing better under Ten Hag and still think actually they're not good enough for United. I expect quite a lot of players to leave, especially defensive players, um, in the summer. But Brighton as well to get to an FA Cup semi-final. Yes, they'll be disappointed to not go all the way to the final. But what progress for them as well. Brighton, we talked about last week of had a great season. Would they see FA Cup semi-final as a, a good run for them and, and success, do you think, in hindsight?
1: It's obviously a great experience, isn't it? You know, getting to Wembley and being able to play in, in front of a crowd with, you know, that sort of magnitude and the occasion is amazing to kind of experience. So it would definitely do put them in good stead, I feel like, going on into, into next season. And it's a good achievement for them, of course. But obviously to get to a, a final would have been... Insane as well, and that would have been a good final to watch Brighton against yeah. um, City. I feel as though City would have preferred to play Brighton, and that's no slight on them. Um, I just feel as though Brighton potentially could be get, got at a little bit more than what United will. I feel like United would have to be more pragmatic against City, and yeah, um, I feel as though they're probably better suited to do that, even though they'll be without a couple of keys. It'll be looks like they'll probably be without. Martinez and potentially even Varane, so that's going to be they're going to be huge misses. But Brighton, of course, yeah, I I just feel as though coming into the end of the season, we've seen them actually respond from um, you know losing games as well. They've obviously maintained that consistency throughout the season in a similar ilk to Newcastle as well. So I expect them to carry on and they'll I, th- I think they'll get a, a, a European place what whether, whatever competition that is in obviously is a different matter. I, I, yeah. I think they'll probably miss out on Champions League um just because of how consistent sort of the top four have been, especially obviously the top two but Newcastle and United look yeah. to sort of almost be over the line. Um, but to get into the Europa League would be a, a ridiculous achievement for for Brighton.
0: How mad is it to say that Brighton might be disappointed, A, to miss out on Champions League football next season, but also to miss out on getting to the FA Cup final? That shows how far they've come, really, doesn't it? And you don't want to patronise them after, obviously, United have just beaten them to the Cup final place and will beat them to a top four place as well, you'd imagine. But to be competing for that right now is a real sign of what Roberto Di Zerbi's done and uh, just the the way the clubs run. I think many people would say that Brighton are probably one of the best-run clubs in the league, aren't they? Oh, 100%. Hundred percent. We're saying to any yeah. club
1: at the minute, it would be, and if you wanted to, any sort of staff, um, you know, it, you would be saying, "Go and get Brighton's scouting team because yeah. the, the the talent, the talent they've unnerved um, and you know developed has been absolutely brilliant and." Uh, Speaking of some of the players that I've had, I thought Mois Casado was brilliant in this game as well. I thought he kind of slowed down yeah. a little bit in the second half. I think they did begin to tire, but he's kind of a man beyond beyond his years, isn't he, really? That but- yeah. He looks like a, I thought he did an well. experienced sort of veteran, never mind how young he actually is. Um,
0: well, I thought the battle between him and Casemiro might have been a telling one in the midfield. And uh, I think he had the better of Casemiro, to be honest. He didn't have his best game, Casemiro. But uh, yeah, Casado, amongst many, I think, is, a, uh, is, is one of the Brighton players who have got a bright future if they stick around. Hopefully they do. If United um, go on and, and obviously champ, go into the Champions League places, whatever. European spot Brighton get will be a great adventure for them. And it'd be great to keep the majority of that team together for that particular journey because it's new new uncharted territory for the club. It's quite exciting times, really. Mm. But on the other side of the um, the bracket for the FA Cup, Man City obviously beat Sheffield United, um, who will probably get promotion to the Premier League sealed this weekend, I think, if they, they win. So they've had a great season as well. A routine win for City in front of a, a sparsely populated Wembley. Uh, I'm not going to go on City too much because their win was quite routine. Riyad Mahrez was was fantastic, wasn't he? But can we just talk about Wembley having FA Cup semi-finals? Is that still the right thing to do, do you think? Because there's so, three out of the four teams had to travel quite away from the north of England to get there. So there's a cost of living crisis going on, it's expensive to get to London and it's expensive to get tickets for Wembley it just all-round smacks of just short-sightedness from the FA, really, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm not a fan of it.
1: I don't I don't understand why mm. it's it's still happening. It takes away the glamour of the final as well, being at Wembley.
0: True. The likes of Villa Park as like a central stadium in the country, or Ellen Road, you know, up north would have been a really good neutral venue too. There's plenty of options they could have had. Um, but no, they decide to milk the Wembley cash cow. And I just think that's disappointing, really, for... For seeing a, a stadium not quite so full as well in an occasion like that is disappointing. But I understand it. I get why fans can't afford to fork out for a semi-final when they might have to actually go to Wembley for the final as well. Two trips to Wembley in the space of a few weeks is expensive for anyone, isn't it? So, yeah, not a big fan of, of Wembley semi-finals.
1: No, I fully agree on that. I just think it could be, do- it could be done a lot better. And I feel as though... It would if it was done in neutral venues. It bring people from different bra- backgrounds, different obviously
0: yeah.
1: um, geographics. I think it will bring a different kind of fan as well. I, I just feel as though it being at Wembley is it, mainly going to be it, it's it, the money that people have to spend to get there. Like you mentioned, it's just ridiculous yeah. in itself. Um, I, I just feel like they they definitely could find a solution to this. I just. I feel like the the final should be at Wembley. I think that's it. I don't think they should have the semis at Wembley.
0: Uh, to end the pod, Dave, I'm going to dip back into something that I think is going to get a lot of attention going forward and that's Wrexham again. We spoke about Wrexham a couple of times this season, but they've just sealed promotion as champions from the National League. First time in 15 years. It's finally become a reality for them let's just talk about those scenes at the racecourse ground once the victory w- uh, was confirmed against Boreham Wood, because the fans were obviously ecstatic, um, mm-hmm. as were the owners as well, who were, you know, you could tell they were privileged to be in attendance when such a historic moment had happened. And, you know, in their words, that's what it's all about for them. That's what they wanted to see. It's quite emotional, quite um, quite a proud moment for the for the town of Wrexham as well. Um, I mean, it wasn't an easy ride to get there. Notts County have pushed them all the way, haven't they, to this title? But the only way is up surely for now. that's That must be the start of, of something for Wrexham, I think.
1: Oh, you feared for them though. When that that goal went in the first minute, <laughs> it was... It, I'm sure there were probably just fears amongst them that it was going to be a similar ending to how last season ended and they obviously just fell short last season. Um, but the yeah. way they've played this season, let's not forget Notts County as well. The way both teams have played, they both thoroughly deserve to be in, in League 2 and um, let's give them a lot of credit. Uh, the, the amount, uh, the amount of entertainment they've offered to you know fans, and the, and the amount of fans it's actually, and the attention that's brought to the national league in itself is crazy. Uh, obviously, a lot of cre- pre- a lot of credit and praise has to go to the owners. They're they're the the uh, the key figures in the head of this, and the way they've actually managed and ran the club and managed the team as well, been able to manage those below and went out there and got Phil Parkinson who has done yeah. an absolutely brilliant job in himself. I was, I've was, i been watching a little bit of the documentary and just sort of how they've kind of earmarked, obviously certain players, obviously brought Paul Mullin in who's been an absolute star for them. But you look at actually, I was looking at his record and how he's actually performed at sort of league two and league one level. He was doing so well at Cambridge United, then to drop down a league, and I just think it's such a great story. It's, and he's obviously it was mentioned that he's a lot closer to his family as well at Wrexham, which was the main yeah. reason for them for him coming to Wrexham. But now you see him there; he looks like there's no other place he'd rather be. Um, and it's it's such a it's in a way it's 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 quite a love story really, and the way it's kind of all unraveling and unfolding and it's it is very much hollywood and that's you know that's uh, quite a, um an unintended uh um pun in itself but the way it is kind of happening it's you can understand why a lot of, a lot of fans other fans are, are jealous and kind of envious of the whole situation because what's going on in that club at the minute is truly tremendous and i just it's great to see. I'm I'm excited to see how next season um, begins and how they go in that league. I, I did note I noticed after the game that um, a couple of players were interviewed in this, and they were they were asked the question: Can you play this kind of football in the in the in the league above? And that their response was: I don't see why not. Don't think that in yeah. in actual truth, in the terms of quality of that Wrexham have and Notts County is the jumping quality that kind of vast i don't think it is how how well they are no playing. it's not um i i don't see any reason why they can't um but let, let's talk about the owners I, I just i can't get enough of it i just love seeing their reaction kind of the emotions that that, that, that they showed it just actually shows the journey that they've been in and how much they've really been pulled into the whole experience they're truly invested in it 100% they're truly invested in it they're hooked yeah and it's I saw a tweet actually from um, Rob McElhenney the other day and saying I can't believe I used to think football was boring
0: do you know what (laughs) I think part of the reason why they are so hooked is because there's so much jeopardy involved in the English football pyramid isn't there so you get promoted you get relegated there's not just a league season where there's no jeopardy involved for half the teams every team's got something to play for and I think when you can see a pathway unfolding in front of you where you can potentially get promoted unlimited times to get to like the top tier I'm pretty sure their ambitions are looking ahead now to not just league two but also league one potentially in the next few years as well so it's it's addictive isn't it I can imagine if you're an owner who has some money and you have a project like Wrexham where the town is crying out for some investment it feels like a good marriage, doesn't it, between ambition and an ambitious club that's been stuck in the doldrum for 15 years. That's no disrespect, dis- disrespect to the National League, but it's a really difficult league to get out of. And they're out of it as champions. And I do honestly think that League One, uh, League Two rather, will be a real challenge for them, yes. But I think it's one that they're already quite well-equipped for. And I think they'll probably invest quite heavily in the summer and a few more signings, a few more signings from maybe a league or two above them. Who knows? But as a project now, Wrexham look really exciting for a player, don't they?
1: Yeah, and I think you were mentioning, weren't you, before the uh, we came on and you mentioned that Ben Foster's kind of tempted to continue his journey, um, having already retired once and come out of retirement to play for, for this team. and
0: Look well, how much content he's getting out of it, Dave. Well, he's got loads of content <laughs> for his podcast and everything, hasn't he? Not just that,
1: but you know he's been pulled into sort of like the journey and the magic of it all he's, I think he's just hooks himself now and that's I think yeah. that's for me is for players to be in that environment and uh, in, in involved in that journey that can be that must just be so morale boosting for, for all of the players just to be all kind of pulling in the same direction, looking towards the goal of obviously getting them where they feel they deserve to be. And it's, I'm just happy for the club. I feel as though that the the kind of uncertainty that they've been in really for so many years, they've been in that that same division. What's it 15 years now?
0: Yeah, it's mad. I think when you look at the club, I think one of the enticing things about their story is, yeah, it's, it's an exciting story because of the Hollywood owners, but Again, it's the the opportunity for them to now climb a little bit higher, and to to have investment and to see, you know, a, a really famous old stadium be sort of renovated and brought back to former glory, and players being attracted to a project that looks like a really attractive prospect. It's something everyone wants to keep an eye on, and I think that's only going to be good for the football pyramid as well because the national leagues that so much exposure this season. Notch County have had some kind of deflected glory off them as well, and they've had an incredible season themselves. And I really hope Notts County do get promotion as well because I think it'd be after a historic season that they've had, the right thing for them. But again, the jeopardy is what what keeps it addictive. So yeah, watch this space for Wrexham and uh, Wrexham fans. God, I'm jealous. You know, this kind of pure football entertainment is what all fans want in their club, isn't Infinite. it? And from owners as well. It's it's what you need. We're United fans <laughs> and we've got terrible owners. And I think if we had owners like um, Ryan Reynolds and Rob Wackalhenney, wow, that'd just be a new level of passion, wouldn't it? So yeah. I am a little bit jealous, it kind um, of, but it's nice to see it unfold. I'd love to get
1: to a game. The, the whole atmosphere and you know the everything that's going on around the club at the minute, you just want to get amongst it. And even I can imagine there's a lot yeah. of neutral fans just going to games at the minute. I know I know that the the, the, uh, the pull of kind of everything that's going on. You look at it as well the some of the celebrities that and Paul Rudd was at this game, wasn't he? And I, said, I saw <laughs> pictures of him in the, in the in the, pub, in the pubs around the area. Can you imagine sort of turning up to your local and seeing Paul Rudd and Will Ferrell in there? It's just bizarre. I just just think it's brilliant. I love it. Uh,
0: Well, anyway, if we can get tickets to Wrexham next season, Dave, me, you and Miles should get down there and uh, and try and see firsthand, make a vlog out of it. If there's any Wrexham fans watching this, come on, make it happen for us. We'd love to get there. Um, but we'll finish the pod on that note, I think. Um, if you are listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, this is a call to arms really just to head over to our YouTube channel and just hit subscribe because that's where we're seeing um, real growth, hopefully, uh, over the next few months because we, we, we're we getting a lot of new viewers, including Wrexham fans who um, hopefully are still sticking around to listen to us as well. But yeah, if you could head over to YouTube, support us on there, that would be a massive help for our, for our growth. Uh, until next week, Dave, thank you and thanks for listening. See you soon. Pleasure. See you later.